Purple Project for Democracy. Now, it's hard to imagine a time when it was illegal to make or sell intoxicating beverages here in SoCal, especially considering that in the time since, the region has moved to the forefront of the craft beer and artisanal cocktail scene. We even now have our own distilleries. But if you look close enough, you'll see the scars of how prohibition shaped modern-day Los Angeles. Sandy Hemmerlein wrote about this for KCET, and she's here now. Sandy, welcome to Take Two. Thank you so much for having me. All right, now, before we get into the telltale signs of L.A.'s uh, not-so-dry history during this time, uh, give us a sense of what the region was like during the Prohibition period. Well, you know, um, Prohibition came about uh, as a result of the temperance movement, and that was largely women-led because um, the people that were hanging out in saloons were primarily men and mm. they were husbands and fathers. And so women wanted a legal way to force men to stay home. Uh, once prohibition hit, it was sort of all bets were off because then when speakeasies were popping up, women were going out and drinking right alongside the men. So it actually created some, you know, equality between the sexes when it came to socializing and also imbibing um, that then persisted did afterwards. So how long did that last here in L.A.? Prohibition? Yes. It was basically January 1st, 1920 through 1933. And so 13 Hmm. years of what we think of as being dry, although Prohibition was incredibly wet in Los Angeles. (laughs) Well, tell us about that, because on the surface, it may have looked like the region was dry, but alcohol still was finding its way into the hands of folks who really wanted to sip it. So let's talk about some of the the smugglers who uh, used to get alcohol into Southern California. You know, there were a couple of ways that you could get booze into LA. And actually, some of them were quite legal. So three miles out from the shore was considered international waters, and it wasn't regulated. So ships would dock three miles off of shore and distribute liquor straight from there. So, uh, you know, you could take a little dinghy out there and Mm. pick up booze. And uh, it was perfectly legal in those waters. And it actually wasn't illegal to possess or to consume alcohol at the time. It was the manufacture, sale, and distribution. So there were all these loopholes that people found. And in fact, those ships are one of the reasons why we now have tequila and rum. Now, in terms of the routes, how did they get in here? If you go down to La Jolla Cove in the northern San Diego area, Mm -hmm. there are caves where there are lots of stories of rum runners bringing in barrels of whatever. And rum runners really covered all sorts of spirits. Wasn't just rum. It wasn't just (laughs) rum. And in fact, you know, the primary American alcohol at the time was whiskey, which had Mm -hmm. had a long, you know, whiskey and rye had and bourbon had a long history of being manufactured in the United States and was a distinctly American spirit. There's also an area that's still called Smuggler. Cove that's uh, near the Portuguese Bend area of the Palos Verdes Peninsula. And reportedly, that's an area that uh, brought in a lot of smugglers as well. They did a good job of keeping it kind of underground and not well known because what we have today are are legends. Mm -hmm. We don't have maps. We don't have any written materials to confirm what we've heard, you know, these stories that have been handed down over the last 100 years. Now, you mentioned those two areas, La Jolla, Palos Verdes. How did that affect the areas nearby if if those are established rum running routes 
that wasn't the end point for the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, sort of a pass through area. So certainly, uh, when it comes to developing harbor areas, establishing a route on the coastline helps future shipping practices and, and that sort of thing. But the most of the spirits were coming to, let's say, central Los Angeles downtown, where the hotels were, the speakeasies were, the places where people would actually be consuming the spirits. And it became a well-oiled machine. These days of prohibition gave rise to organized crime as we know it today. Talking about the Prohibition era in Los Angeles uh, with Sandy Hemmerlein, who wrote about this for KCET. All right, we've hit pretty much every point of the process here, how the alcohol got here, how it was transported. Uh, where was it sold, though? Because, you know, uh, when, when it comes to speakeasies or things like that, are, are they things that maybe we could still possibly visit today? Well, there's one um, that was in the basement of what's now known as the King Eddie Saloon. Mm. That's in downtown right off of the the Nickel, which was our Skid Row. Mm. Uh, it's in the King Edward Hotel. Upstairs, before Prohibition, was a, a bar, restaurant for the hotel. When Prohibition hit, that business went literally underground into the basement. <laughs> and the the cover operation upstairs was a, a piano store, a musical instrument store. A musical instrument store. That was the cover. So the, hmm, the banging okay. on the keys would cover up any of the sounds oh that gosh. might be coming from downstairs. And it was, wow. you know, a tight operation. I mean, the whole idea of speaking easy because you don't want to cause too much noise for the police, you know, to detect you. Now, we've talked about all the seedy underground stuff during Prohibition. Some places, though, managed to stay in place and in, in operation during that time. And, and the big name around L.A. is the San Antonio Winery. How did they manage to swing that? Right. So that's actually a source of homemade alcohol during Prohibition that was completely legal. So they were L.A.'s preeminent winery at a time when there were a ton of winemakers in downtown Los Angeles, they were able to stick around because they were manufacturing altar wine. And wine used for religious purposes was perfectly legal. They still actually make altar wine. They do. It's yeah, part right, of yeah, their yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just enough to get them through. One of the challenges of prohibition is that a lot of it overlapped with the Great Depression. So, you know, certain businesses that might have been able to hold on just long enough for 13 years to stay in business couldn't do it because the Depression hit. Uh, so, so even once the 21st Amendment went into effect, they, they couldn't quite make they it back. Some of these wineries and breweries. Wow. Correct. So we went 80 years without a distillery wow. in Los Angeles. And then Green Bar Distillery in downtown was the first one. Could it be argued that L.A.'s wine spirit beer scene uh, wouldn't be where it is today without prohibition? Well, I would say that craft cocktails wouldn't be where they are today without prohibition because the quality of the alcohol at the time was not so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if it if it got you drunk, it worked, and that's fine. <laughs> oh, but but that was really the beginning of mixing cocktails and using juices and other herbs and ingredients to try to cover up the taste yeah. of yeah. you know the bathtub gin or the bootleggers whiskey that just was kind of hard to choke down on its own. Sandy Hammerline writes about L.A. history. She spoke with us today about how prohibition shaped modern-day Los Angeles. Sandy, thanks a lot. Thank you.